Beyond the Stethoscope, the podcast for veterinarians, healthcare providers, and busy professionals who want actionable, implementable solutions surrounding work-life balance, accomplishing your goals, and living your dreams. I'm your host, Dr. Angela Demery. We are here today with Dr. Shelley Prevost. She's an educational psychologist and leadership coach with a diverse professional background. In 2019, she launched a coaching business designed specifically to help entrepreneurs navigate the emotional and mental landmines that come with starting a company. In addition to coaching, Shelly is also a co-founder and active investor with the Jump Fund, an angel fund investing in women-led, high-growth startups in the Southeast. Shelly was the director of happiness and partner at a Chattanooga-based VC firm and has also worked as a performance consultant and startup CEO. She's written about her work on purpose, relationships, workplace culture, and leadership in columns for Inc. and the Huffington Post. And her work has appeared in so many amazing places as well. She is passionate about helping women develop authentic leadership. And Shelly gave a 2015 TEDx talk entitled Lead Like a Girl. So hey. welcome, Shelly. How are Hello. you today? Thank you for having me. Hey, everyone. I'm really happy to be here and see you again. Yes. Well, Shelly, to start, can you share a little bit of your journey with us? I mean, I understand you experienced the burnout yourself and, and really designed a really great continuum of burnout that I often use in my leadership courses. So it's so easy to understand. It's super helpful to busy professionals. And we'd love to hear just a little bit about your journey today. Yes, I'd love to share. So, um, and it's really relevant, I think, for what we're going to be talking about later um, with feeling like a fraud or imposter syndrome. Um, so my background's in psychology. I'm an educational psychologist and a licensed therapist and was recruited into uh, a VC firm. So back in 2010, uh, to be kind of this in-house shrink, I guess, if you will. And so I did that for four years and really felt like such a fraud, um, really learned a lot about the vernacular, kind of what the expectations are. And I felt like I was constantly keeping up and like, you know, I would go home and I would, I'd have to like, read up on things. And I remember them saying EBITDA all the time. And I was like, I have no idea what that word is. <laughs> I didn't know it stood for something. So I, um, I figured it out quickly and I was a, a good study. Um, so I learned a lot. And then I went and started my own company, which was a, a technology, a hardware company, which is a completely different bag um, from, from investing and doing psychology, of course. Um, and that's where I've really um, entered into some really stressful, kind of debilitating dark times as a startup founder. Um, as you well know, kind of that life is really stressful. Um, I was not doing it in any kind of sustainable way. And that's when I got burned out. Um, a lot of, I didn't know at the time it was burnout. I just knew that I was really stressed all the time. I was completely overwhelmed. I was getting sick a lot. I was not taking care of myself. Um, and so in 2017, we had to shut down the company, sadly, but we did. Um, and from that, like coming out of that, I was like, okay, this does not have to be this hard. <laughs> yes, startups are hard, but there's got to be a way to do it more sustainably and 
And so that's what I've been doing. I've made it my mission to really help um, not just startup founders, but really any kind of uh, business leaders, nonprofit leaders, people in, in these positions who go into the trenches every day and have people in their care um, and they have to lead them well, but how do you lead them well when things are just really hard and stressful? Uh, the pandemic, of course, picked up, you know, surmountable, insurmountable stress, I think, for a lot of people. And so um, so that's what I've been doing for the last few years is um, it's all around, it started as burnout, like really um, what I think burnout recovery, but it's really gotten bigger than that. And so being able to help um, coaches with emotional fitness and a lot of emotional intelligence skills, um, I've really gotten into the Enneagram and doing a lot of coaching around that. So that's been really fun to, to help leaders on the self-development path do some really hard kind of uh, introspective work so that they can be better leaders. Yeah, I think that is absolutely so cool that you're taking all of your knowledge and experience and skill sets and even your own experience to help others who might be experiencing some of the same things. And you mentioned a little bit about having some of those fraudy feelings. And now yeah, I really, really love to dive into imposter syndrome for a little while because yeah. I hear a lot of information around imposter syndrome and you know and it seems like oh everybody has imposter syndrome and i'm like well is that really true like is it you know and so let's start just quickly with like what is the definition of imposter syndrome yeah that's really good and i totally agree with you i think that we have distorted the the, the actual definition of imposter syndrome to the point where we've made anything that feels fraudulent, we've kind of rolled it all up into that same idea, that same theory. Um, and, and the real definition, it's a psychological phenomenon where you doubt your skills, your talents, your accomplishments, despite having external evidence of the contrary. And so these are um, upwardly mobile, successful, kind of high-performing, high-achieving men and women, and it happens equally to men and women, um, but despite that upward mobility and that um, clear evidence that, that you're executing in the areas that you want to be, you have the skills, you have the capacities to do well, you still have this kind of internal monologue uh, that you're not deserving of it or that you will be found out. And so I, th I think that the, the thing I want to focus on is there's lots of reasons we feel fraudulent. Imposter syndrome specifically is, is the piece of this where you have external evidence that you're doing well and you're high achieving or performing well and you don't believe you are and you're going to feel like you're going to be found out. So I, so I think when we're thinking about I feel like a fraud, you have to ask why. Like what's going on that's creating those fraudulent feelings. And I think there's lots of reasons uh, that happen. So one of them is imposter syndrome. That's what I'll say. One of the reasons we feel like a fraud could be imposter syndrome. The other reason we could feel like a fraud is what um, I think I felt in my experience, which was inauthenticity. And so the work we're doing is not the work we're suited or equipped to do. That can create feelings of being a fraud. That is not the same thing that was imposter syndrome. And so, yeah, go ahead. 
Yeah, no, I just, I love that you brought this up and you're saying this because that inauthenticity, you know, when we're not aligned with our values and our internal selves, like, boy, that really creates a lot of stress. Yes. Um, I, I had some overwhelm and some of this feeling of inauthenticity. And I kept hearing these definitions of imposter syndrome. I'm like, well, that's not me. Like, I, like, I don't have those feelings at all. And, but, but I've also heard the way people talk about imposter syndrome. I'm like, gosh, this just doesn't, it doesn't all jive. So I'm glad we're having this conversation today because when I experience overwhelm, my definition of that is the lack of living in alignment with my values or the lack of having clear boundaries that I'm maintaining. And if those two things are out of whack, I suddenly am super overwhelmed by everything in life. Yeah, yeah, I everything you're saying resonates with me. So when I was in an environment where my core values and who I am naturally could not be lived out or expressed in a safe way, um, that created a lot of inauthenticity and di- like just discord in my soul. And so it wasn't imposter syndrome. In fact, I think I felt the opposite. I felt like, no, I deserve to be here, Uh, which, you know, imposter syndrome is the opposite of that. So even though I felt like a fraud, I also knew like there's, I had enough self-belief that I was going to work really hard and figure it out. Uh, But the core of that for me, feeling like a fraud was that I was not living in alignment with who I really am. Uh, And so again, that's, creates fraud feelings, but it's very different than imposter syndrome. The other thing that, and there was an article that came out, um, it's been recently, and I believe it was in the Harvard Business Review about institutional racism. And I think the article was entitled, Quit Telling Women They Have Imposter Syndrome. And the whole article was about when you live and work in conditions that are not honoring who you are, such as institutional racism, institutional sexism, um, any, you know, any kind of phobic kind of work environment where conditions are creating it so that you cannot be who you are. You know, our LGBTQ friends and family, like they know this well. They know that there are some places they can't show up who they are. So that's creating feeling of fraud, being a fraud. I can't be who I am, but again, not imposter syndrome. So I think there's a there's a real um, we have to be careful what we're talking about and and use different words. And so and I would even say, you know, what um, the idea of fraud and failure. I hear a lot of people talk about those the same way, like they're repeatedly failing. Um, I think I think we have to be careful about how we're talking about um, authenticity and not showing up as who we really are is not the same thing as failing. Um, failure is, a, is an externalized, um, and it could be kind of, I think about workplaces where um, my workplace in general, where I was failing, the conditions were not set up um, for someone like me to succeed in the way that I needed to. And so that created a lot of fraud, but, but it does morph into that overwhelm, stress, burnout, like the conditions can go from there, but, but oftentimes it is, um, it's the fear of being who we really are is, is at the core of that. Yeah. And sometimes it may not even, well, I guess it depends how we define fear now. Like now we're going into like, well, what's the definition of this and what's the definition of that? Because 
in that environment, maybe we're afraid to be who we are, but we're not afraid necessarily to be who we are. We just don't know how to line up the workplace environment, the personal life environment, the who we are environment. Like, and, and I wonder if we just don't have enough language or enough words. Um, you know, I mean, I was later in life before I really was taught how to express my feelings. Like that wasn't something I learned growing up. And, and so sometimes I wonder, like, do we just not have the language around it? Because if we're feeling like a failure, is it that we failed ourselves because we're not living in alignment with who we are? And, and then like, but the way we're saying the words don't really align with what's actually happening either. And then you have folks teaching the teacher you know, who aren't mm -hmm. psychologists, right? Who are using these words basically interchangeably. And it just creates a lot of confusion as we're trying to figure out what's up here and how can I get back on my path uh, in my life? Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I think that it does um, create confusion. I even get confused. Like when I'll have people and I'm like, wait, what are you really talking about? And how are you really experiencing this? And in some ways I don't know that it matters um, I think that if the result, if you are living in this kind of chronic stress, overwhelm, uh, it's not sustainable. And so I think, I think you really got to look at why, what's, what is really like going back to the core of that. And so, and that's what I do with coaching, you know, like, you know, a lot of times people know I'm stressed. I know that I'm going in and I feel like a fraud, like every time. So we have to stop, we have to take a breath. And, and um, you can't change what you don't know. And so I think for, in some ways it's just figuring out that you're living in this kind of chronic stress environment kind of all the time. Once we can back up into figuring out why, what is in the root, what's the root of that? Is it that you, um, and the thing is about imposter syndrome, I wanna say this too, it's not a lack of confidence. It's about the interpretation the way that we interpret our success is um, not accurate. So that's the issue. So if that's really what's going on, then what I would want to do is go in and talk to this internal critic, the inner critic that has a really hard time letting you um, own your own success. You know, that's a different kind of understanding than helping somebody figure out, oh, like who I am, I can't go into this environment and be who I am. My insides and my outsides aren't matching. That's another, that's a completely different um, way for us to think and, and work through this. Um, and both are kind of crappy, you know? Neither of them are fun. Neither of them are, are creating joyful conditions from which we get to work. They're both equally stressful, but um, yeah, I think a lot of this, and I, and I was thinking about this earlier because I have, um, you know, people come and they talk to me about imposter syndrome and it really sounds to me like they're just not clear. You know, like there's this ambiguity or this, this um, confusion or lack of clarity. And so they just call it imposter syndrome. And it's not really, you know, it's like, no, you're just not clear on what the expectations are, what the goal is. And so you feel kind of wonky. You feel like I don't really fit in or I don't know how to operate. Well, you need to go back and figure out what the expectations are, get clear on your goals, try to understand um, the outcome here that you're working toward. Now, um, 
but that's not inner critic work. That's not imposter syndrome work. That's, you know, something else. Yeah. And as you say clarity, I'm like, oh, that's high performance. <laughs> and so um, I love, you know, the framework of high performance because it's like clarity, energy, productivity, influence, and necessity. And so for yeah. me, just being a scientist and loving these frameworks where we can pull at some different threads and really understand what's going on. And then if it's beyond that, um, saying, oh, let's, you know, maybe you want to talk to a therapist or maybe you, you need some additional help here or something like that. But what I really love, Shelly, is that you are working each and every day and just to help professionals really improve their lives, to really like own their successes, to have that joy and happiness. And, you know, the same as why I do the work that I do, because I really want to help people to like really feel good about what they're doing and to live the life of their dreams. I think mm -hmm. we each deserve to have that opportunity. Yeah, I totally, uh, I totally agree. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. I'm curious kind of what you, like, why do you think um, if we, we tend to call uh, everything that feels fraudulent or feels um, unconfident, I don't know if that's the right word, but why do we call sure. it all imposter syndrome? Why do you think that's happening? Well, I can only speak I think for my experience within the professional world that I've been interacting within, the, within the veterinary profession, there is a lot of workplace either angst or um, unhappiness. I, I, I'm not always really sure on, on the words to use because whatever mm -hmm. I say, somebody will have a different experience or different words that they want to put to it. But it's like we spend all this time and energy and all this money and, and effort learning the skill and becoming doctors and veterinarians. And then we graduate and we're off in the real world, but somehow, even though we've worked in these environments, our whole career and lives, now that we're in some of these roles, the expectations are now different mm -hmm. or we're now also wearing HR hats or business owner hats in addition to, you know, being the surgeon or diagnosing the patient. And so now we're not only the subject matter expert, but we, we have other, we're looked to as the leaders. And when you're the leader and you're the owner of a business, there's no support if you're not reaching out to your peers and creating those peer support networks. Um, there may not be mentorship. Like you might now all of a sudden be at the top. And, and so as we're sort of discussing this, I think there's a great need to figure it out, like, hmm. why are we having these feelings? Why do we have these frustrations within our organizations or within our profession? And let's just go find, oh, well, that resonated with me and I'm in a position to go teach others. So now it just kind of gets rampant <laughs> with, you know, um, and then somebody else has a different experience and they like, they're in a position to go yeah. teach and, and explain. And, and, and so I think, it, you know this, Shelly, um, the more I listen to like Brene Brown and you and others in these fields, the more I'm convinced that it's how our brain works. Mm -hmm. We we learn in stories and we want to attach an explanation and a story to everything. And mm -hmm. so we grasp onto something that is an inkling of truth to it and we create a story around it. And then now we're satisfied because we have a story to explain Even if whatever it's the we're feeling. I think so. Isn't that? Yeah. Even if it's true? the wrong story, yeah. it's still uh, our brain likes to close the loop like that. Like yeah. if, it's un if there's any kind of unknown, we're really uncomfortable. Um, and so I think even we tell ourselves stories, even if it's the wrong story, we'll still latch onto it. And I think that's a lot about 
with like what's happening with imposter syndrome and people latch. And it's the difference between and being feeling like an imposter and imposter syndrome. Feeling like an imposter, I think, is um, human. You know, we're not always going to feel like we belong or we fit in or we're com- fully competent or. Um, I think that's just, especially if we're just starting something, if it's, we've never done HR, we've never figured, you know, like, of course we don't feel completely confident, but imposter syndrome is that kind of, those kind of chronic s- stories we tell ourselves around our incapacity. Um, and that's um, deeper. And I think, um, you know, pop, some of us are more prone to, Kind of that negative storytelling um and again i go back to my enneagram work i'm just talking with somebody who has that perfectionistic way of moving and working and being in the world and so that voice that you'll never um, be good enough or you'll never fit in or you're you're not living up to your potential i mean it's something that plagues her like all her life. And so this imposter syndrome, I, I would say it's something that she really is struggling with. It's not just feeling like an imposter. It's this syndrome that she kind of really has to do some deeper work around disidentifying with that story that she keeps telling herself that she doesn't, she's, she's not capable. She's not going to make it. People are going to find out that she's a fraud. That's different. That's a story. Yeah, I'm really glad you asked that question. And I took a really long way around getting no, to that answer, curious I think. But yeah, um, we're, this is why we're having the conversation and why we've invited folks to join the conversation today, because I know there's a lot of questions and there's a lot of information and maybe misinformation out there. And, and I thought, what a great opportunity to just kind of talk through it and, and really understand what are the ins and outs. And you also brought up something that I would really love to touch on because I've also been thinking a lot about learning and how we learn. And you know, are we living our comfortable lives or are we living our best lives? Are we holding ourselves back because we have to stretch ourselves mm. to learn new things? And that's super uncomfortable when you know we were little kids and we had to learn how to walk and we fell a million times a day, but you know, we didn't care. We just went ahead and did it anyway. And, or learning to tie our shoes, like all these things have been really, really hard. And now we're older and it seems like the older I get and the, you know, it's like, we're kind of like more of the struggle mentality of, Oh, I got to learn something new. Oh, it's going to be hard. Or, you know, it's like, and really, if you're just like, okay, we're going to tackle this and do it. Like, it's usually, we have so much experience. It's probably a lot easier than it used to be, but you know, how, and, and is, is that like that uncomfortableness, just learning new things and growing as individuals, is that being mis, I guess, misdiagnosed or misused with confused with imposter syndrome too? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it is. Um, yeah, I love um, Anne Lamont. She has, when she's writing a book, she's, it's her shitty first draft. <laughs> And she's always, and it's her kind of, I hope that's okay to say, it's her mantra of like um, giving herself permission to do it badly, to do the first version badly. Um, For those of us that are prone to perfectionism, prone to imposter syndrome, um, I think sometimes we don't give ourselves permission to do something badly. We have this expectation 
Um, and I do think that's something that we learn as adults that we don't have as children. You know, as children, a lot of children, you know, they know they're gonna figure things out. They're gonna fumble through and they get up and they dust off and it's fine. But there's something about, um, you know, when we get to be adults, these stories are solidified more and more and more. And we have this belief like, well, I should be perfect or I should have it figured out or I shouldn't have to have a shitty first draft. Well, no, I think that that, again, that goes back to just this very human um, emotional kind of adaptation that we have to go through and not turn it into a syndrome, right? And it also makes me think of, um, there's a guy, there's a, a researcher in positive psychology, his name's Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. Um, I can't remember where he's from, but he had, he came up with flow theory. And he talked about when you're in flow, it's, it's the optimal level of um, a sufficient level of challenge, but also a sufficient level of mastery. And so we aren't in flow unless we're being challenged. We have to be in this kind of wobbly, like figuring it out, like tension um, in order to really feel be in that flow state. And so I think um, we can't pathologize it, which I think is a lot of people um, want to try to do to, to eliminate it and make things feel better again. And, you know, and, I, and I think you're right. I think we have to press into that learning a little bit and just let's call it learning. <laughs> let's not call it a syndrome, <laughs> <Yes>. right? <laughs> It's like learning. Yeah. It's learning. yeah. Right now, there's no failure. It's only learning. You know, we're going to, I'm not always a big fan of the fail forward. Uh, I think either. that's a yeah. little bit overused, but I do love the idea of like learning and falling, getting back up and dusting ourselves off. And what did I learn here? How can I do it better next time? And, so, you know, yeah, go ahead. Look, I, I want to say something. Cause I, one of the other sayings I'm really, I don't like, uh, and I think Brene Brown actually says it, but the courage over comfort. So I really don't like that as a burnout um, coach and researcher and someone who's really committed to this work, because I think we need comfort. I think we need sustainable courage. We need sustainable learning. We need to press into discomfort, but we also need to give ourselves lots of space for that learning to integrate, for resting, for assimilating, for um, pulling back, being, you know, being easy on ourselves, having some self-compassion. Because if we're always driving and driving and driving, even learning, which I love learning, yeah. but if I'm always in that <laughs> constant learning mode, you're just creating stress on your body and your mind, your soul. And it's not, it's not sustainable. And that is what will, does lead to burnout. Um, I see it time and again, like this kind of chronic expectation that I have to keep going, even if it's something I love. Um, it, it does tend to have this kind of build up response of stress. And that's, that's what we know is, leads to burnout. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I love that. I'm so glad you brought that up. I had the same experience recently where I, I was like, huh, I found this linchpin decision. Like, you know, if you think about um, when we were kids and you, you got a tie, um, a stick stuck in the spokes of your wheel and it jammed up everything and like, you can't go forward anymore. If we could just remove the stick, we go forward. And so I'm like, hey, and I was like, so there's this one key decision that if I make it, it will unlock everything and all the other areas of my life. And we were talking about like greater spirit and physical and emotional health and, 
you know, finances and hobbies and career and mission and all, all of the parts. And I was like, huh, mm. let me make this decision. Super uncomfortable. Okay. Like the most uncomfortable decision. I'm like, oh, this is going to change a lot of things. Well, I, I pulled that stick out and I made this decision and then all of a sudden I had a lot of, there were other things that happened at the same time that were not related, but like my basement flooded and, you know, I, I have to like, and I have like all these things in motion and, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is too much. So mm. like definitely having to like pull back and say, okay, what's like the, so I do agree, like really like, okay, where's the one thing that I really want to change. But like a lot of that was outside of my control, but I also recognize, cause I do some, some, like I'm a coach. I don't do the same work you do, but I, I say, well, I know that I knew this was going to be challenging. And I know that if I continue to push forward, but I just regroup and I'm just more like methodical about it. And I give myself the time to like more time and space to recover from this and just like, okay, what's the one, like, just back up a little, what's the mm -hmm. one thing every day I need to get done. And, and it'll, it'll all sort itself out here in a month or two. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really important both not to be afraid of making those really difficult decisions that are going to propel you forward, but also be okay that like, we don't have to just pedal to keep up as we're and pedal harder as we're going down a mountain. Like it's okay to coast or <laughs> like push our brakes a little bit to make sure we don't crash and crash and burn. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I've, I've come to believe that over the last few years, as I've worked in this space more that, um, burnout or the, even just like the chronic overwhelm is the result of one of two conditions. If I'm just, just completely simplify it. One, either the work you're doing is wrong. It's inauthentic. It's um, not, you're not skilled. You're not suited to do it. Um, you're not, you're not um, living in your authenticity or your confidence, like either that, the work you're doing is wrong or the way you're doing it is wrong. So either, you know, you have stressful conditions in your workplace, you don't allow yourself to rest and, um, you know, rejuvenate, rehabilitate. You continue to drive, you continue to have kind of unrealistic expectations of yourself. So, so I think it's, it's an inside and an outside job, but I really do think it comes down to those two things. Either the work you're doing is wrong or the way you're doing it is wrong. Because when, when I end up, you know, working with somebody and really um, sifting through all that, it does, it tends to come down to one of those two things. Um, and sometimes people are like, I have to leave my job. Like I can't, I can't change the culture and the culture is unhealthy for me. Um, most of the time I find that people, it's around the way they're doing it and they can change a whole lot. Um, they can do this inner work to, okay, I've got to manage my expectations better. I have to set better boundaries. I have to like really get in a conversation with my inner critic. Um, and so that's exciting for me that a lot of what we face every day is, is in our power to change. I think um, changing it though um, sustainably, because <laughs> this is, you know, spoken as a type A driving type of person. I know that that's just, it's, it's not been sustainable. And so that's, you know, that's part of that dance I think you're talking about. 
Yeah, and you're absolutely right. So much of it, um, as I talk with busy professionals and veterinarians in private practice is boundaries. They aren't taking time to go outside and breathe fresh air or like, you know, they're just running, running, running. I don't have time to go to the bathroom during the day. I'm like, oh my gosh, like you've got to drink water, eat, you know, take care of your basic functions. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you're going to feel so much better and you're going to show up better for all the people who are counting on you. And it's really, man, it's really flipping that script from I'm going to get in trouble if I don't perform to, or whatever the story is to, if I take care of myself, I do a better job for others. And, and that's really important too. So it, it's just like, or whatever the story needs to be, you know, it, it, you just, it's really hard to get out of those negative patterns. But once we recognize them and we rec- like the close more we recognize from the thought to the action, like, oh, I'm taking this action. Let me take a different action to, oh, I had that thought, which leads to this action I don't want to take to let's take a different action. Like eventually you get more space between all of it. I know it sounds impossible because when I was in that boat, I was like, I'll never have more space between all of this. And eventually you do. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, and I think it does feel awkward and a little bit robotic at first for people that aren't used to creating space to connect all those dots. Like, and I have this, I have this method I use with people, ABCD method. It's just cognitive behavioral work basically. And when I start teaching them, um, basically to self-observe, like what is the activating event? What is the belief? What is the consequent emotion? And what is the deed? What did you do? Mm. So at first they're like, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I can't connect all that. Like I don't have time to think about. And, and it does take a little bit of time and space when you're learning, but as you go, it's like, you can start to kind of in the moment, make fluid decisions because you're aware, you're self-aware enough to know like, oh, that's what I'm feeling. That's what I'm thinking. And that's why I just did that. So maybe I can stop and kind of reverse back here and do something different. Uh, and often it is, it's so, I, I tell people all the time that belief is the one thing you can control. The one thing you can change, emotions are really hard to control. It's not impossible. And there's a lot of uh, emotional management that people can learn, but belief, your, your, your belief or your thoughts is where if I'm gonna tell someone to over-index on spending time, changing, that would be them. The thoughts that lead to beliefs that are mostly inaccurate for most of us. <laughs> yeah, and then then this conversation brings me to the next point or, or like leads me to say, but so I'm an Enneagram, I think of an eight, right? And didn't you share with me that we just have energy in our bodies? Like, yeah. and it's so true. Like I, I just, the energy in my body like moves and drives everything. And, um, and so for me, the beliefs and the thoughts are really hard, but I can very easily identify that feeling in my body and be Mm. like, Oh, that leads to nothing good. Like I'm going to go take a nap. I'm going to go take a walk. I'm going to go drink some water. I'm not going to respond to this email right now. I'm going to go do something else. And so I I just share that because I I think, you know, depending on how we process the world might might change what piece of that puzzle is going to be easier for us. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I love, you know, and, cause I use the email example a lot with people. Yeah. So you get it a nasty email, right? And so I think that's where the, the thoughts 
Okay, and what is our response? What are, it's usually a reaction. And I love what you're saying because you experience it in your body. And eights are really wired to action. And so it might not be a conscious thought. There is a thought there. It's like, oh, this, you know, SOB sent me this email or I got a pipe back or, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, right, there right. Is a, there's a thought there, but your instinct is in your body to respond. And even your instinct to self-regulate is in your body, um, which is go for a walk, take a breath, drink water. It's all yeah. physical, you know? And so I think that there is, there's a really good, um, link there and, and you know head types might do something different heart types might go want to talk to somebody or cry or you know but but I think that we we have to be aware of our our response and understand what triggered it um, yeah. that's where I think some of that that the monkey brain <laughs> the in. stress response patterns yes absolutely yeah um, and and the other thing I love around this is as, you know, saying, okay, what's your stress response pattern? But then saying, okay, when do you have your dip in your day? And then like an hour and a half before that, like drink water, eat something healthy. Like, are you fueling yourself? And that can help sustain energy. You're like, well, I'm not hungry or, or whatever. I'm just going to push through. I'm just going to push through push to through. that next task. That's the worst. I think the worst thing we can do. And I, I should never talk in um, always never worst best, but um I, you know, it's just like, but if, but I find at least if I'm fueling my body properly, man, it's smooth sailing. Mm. So yeah, and I, I think that's that's good though. Like we sometimes we have to power through. Sometimes like we're up against the gun, we have to like, like make some quick decisions and do some hard work. But we can't sure. live there, right? I think that's the sure. thing. It's like you can visit there, but you can't live there. Um, and so the ways that we, I love that you're, you're talking about what you've learned about yourself and how you know you recharge. And for me, it's um, solitude and silence and sitting on my back porch and completely undisturbed. Like I just have to be back there by myself, uh, usually with some music or a journal or book. Like I just, that's, that's it for me. You know, I just really have to, but I've learned that about myself through the years. Like I can push through and power through and get her done. But I know that the, the, what's going to be required on the tail end of that is going to be a lot of space for, for me to come back and breathe and be with myself. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, they found that the most productive people, like one of the largest studies ever done on productivity with the most productive people worked for 52 minutes and then took an 18 minute break. Mm. And so, you know, thinking about like applying that to our own lives when possible, like if we just took a few more breaks throughout the day, if even if they're five minute breaks and you had five minutes of solitude, like every couple of hours, like, would you be more productive or would, would you know, instead of pushing through for eight hours and I'm mm -hmm. not saying you do that, but like, you know, and, and so just like, what can we learn from like the highest performing people in the world and the Olympians and things too, where to your point, it's never going to be a hundred percent possible or practical in our days based on the demands of our lives, but mm. starting to figure out innovative ways to build some of these things in and then see if you feel better or not. I, I think it's always so like, when we look at the research and, and I hear, oh, I don't need more sleep than six hours. I'm like, oh, the research is so clear on that. Like, Super, yeah, you Super know, clear. Yeah, there's so, like literally like 0.3% of people, I mean, something super like very small 
that have a genetic abnormality and they don't need that much sleep, but it's, it's very rare. And so we've just convinced ourselves that, that we don't need it. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so incredibly much for diving into all of these ins and outs and having this super thoughtful uh, conversation with me today. I hope we got everybody's questions answered out there. And we will be right back in just a minute with our five questions segment. Well, thank you so much. This has been a wonderful conversation, Shelly. I I really enjoyed it. Wonderful. And you have a wonderful day. Okay. You too. That's all the time we have for this week's episode of Beyond the Stethoscope. I hope you are inspired to take actionable steps towards accomplishing your goals and living your dreams. Chances are, if you are listening to this podcast, you are a busy professional who is looking to reclaim your time, energy, and focus to be your best, most productive, and highest performing self. As a high performance coach, I help busy professionals like you gain clarity, energy, and courage to take actionable steps towards accomplishing their goals and living their dreams. If this sounds like you and you want to work with me, I only have three openings still available for high performance coaching, and I have decided to offer them exclusively to listeners of this podcast. Simply go to pauseconsulting.com forward slash podcast to apply. And let's see if I'm the right person to help you not only accomplish your goals, but also live the life of your dreams. Let's make your best year yet.